You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. This is our final episode, at least for a little while, and we're joined by Linda and Maurice to run down all the topics we didn't get to. It's a lightning round. Pew, 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 pew. You guys can hear me, right? We can hear you. Okay. You're here, Linda. All right, good. I'm just so nervous now. Why are you nervous? Because I have had so many technical difficulties, but I think we're... Are you, are you having problems with the robots in your life? Yeah, they're bad. What are they up to? The robots in my life, I just got a new Apple Watch. Um, Ooh, so wrist robot. This is my first wrist robot, um, and I just had a friend give me a really hard time uh, and call it like, oh, yeah, you're an astronaut. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I also make fun of anyone I know that has an Apple Watch. I think you should make fun of people. But this with Apple is my watches, right? this is my first one. I feel like I waited the proper amount of time to blindly follow. Um, and so far, it's added value. It's added value to my life. What do you do with it? So I'm not super into notifications, uh, so I don't do that. But I've been training for a half marathon. And um, mm. have found that everything else that I've used to like track my progress and control my music. And it's just like it was too many things. Like I had like two or three different things to deal with. And so now I just have the one and it's actually kind of nice. I don't think anyone should make fun of you or anybody else. I think you're being a jerk, Matt. Mm. I'm still going to make fun of you if you get an Apple Watch, Andy. <laughs> no, that's not really my style. It won't happen to me. But why, why would you make fun of people? They're just out there doing their own thing. They want a little wrist robot to tell them what their heartbeat is. Tell them to stand up every once in a while. You know, just a little, a little wrist-born trainer. I do hate the stand-up thing. It's like so funny. It comes at the worst times. Like uh, yesterday, I was just talking about how um, I was having like a really deep conversation with somebody and talking about how like emotional I've been lately. And then my watch is like, "Hey, stand up! <laughs> you're really close. Move your body around. Yeah, you're really close. You're talking. You're talking too much about feelings. Stop it." Yeah. <laughs> Just move. The thing is, the robots don't understand feelings, so they wouldn't get that. I know, and in that moment, I actually said, "This is a great, this is a great uh, machine learning exercise." Like in the future, that would not happen. <laughs> like the iPhone would hear me what? say all these like really sad <laughs> things, <laughs> and it would be like, "No." I think the, the idea time. of machine learning is is your watch tells you to stand up, and you just go, "Machine, learn that I don't want to stand up right now. Stop it." <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Linda, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it on uh, on relatively short notice. We put out the call for anybody that wanted to join in the last episode, at least last episode for now. And here you are. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'm really happy to be here. And Maurice, you know, this is basically your podcast in a lot of ways. I'm really glad you <laughs> can make this last recording <laughs> because of how much you kind of participated in the production of the show. This is, I think, your sixth or seventh episode you've been on. So it wouldn't be wouldn't be the last show for now, if not for you being here. So thank you, Maurice. Well, thank you for having me. I also realized I said that wrong. Uh, <laughs> what I should say is it wouldn't be the last show without you, not it wouldn't be the last show if not for you being here. That implies that you being here is why it's the last show, which is not the case. Uh, <laughs> it's all your fault. How are you doing down there in, uh, in Georgia? Pretty good. It's still very warm down here, so we haven't really had fall just yet. Like it's, it's been like in the, I don't know, upper 70s mostly, so it's still pretty warm here. Are you all enjoying our uh, our It's Dark at 5.30 uh, 
uh, lovely new world we live mm-hmm. in post daylight savings? Absolutely not. It's horrific. I think it's, it's a horror show. It really should be of, illegal. I, I think it's kind of romantic. I like it. Really? You think so? You like it? Yeah, it's kind of nice. Like in the way where you get really sad at five o'clock, that kind of romantic. <laughs> yeah, like a deep crushing well, depression. Like Is that what you it's mean? It's just like no matter what you do, when you leave work, it's going to be dark outside. There's no rush. It's just like whatever, you know. You just throw mm. in the towel. You're resigned. It's going to be nighttime when you leave. I will say, yeah. I think it's nice because it makes it easier to just like, you know, in the summertime. I feel like when it gets dark, that's when I'm like, I said, live for the night. All right, I'm just going to be in my house mm. now. Yeah, being lazy. Now I feel like I have permission to just be lazy all the time because of how horrible everything is because we don't get any sun and the sun is important. Yeah. But this is not a podcast about daylight savings or the weather. This is a podcast about design. And uh, for this last episode, I'm not sure where this is going to go. This could be weird. I'm, I'm open to uh, any of the three of you taking this any direction you want. But I thought it might be interesting just to run down some of the uh, things we had discussed either very briefly or more in depth for possible topics for the show and just see if we have things to say about them, uh, and maybe try and get through the whole list of things we had kind of kept running, seeing as this will be the uh, last show for a bit. Okay. So does that sound all right? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, sure. Lightning round. Oh, yeah, lightning round. Let's, let's call it that. This is the working file lightning round. So uh, everybody gets to say thumbs up or thumbs down, <laughs> so and we Andy, move on. Andy's going to say, Andy's going to say a topic, and you just scream yes or no, <laughs> and we move on. Exactly. Uh, All right, so one of the things we have listed here was the idea of open source design, and specifically this references Google's material design handbook, uh, or even something like Twitter Bootstrap. Um, I think the sort of episode here was going to kind of be about this idea that more and more these kind of, you know, libraries basically for just, you know, making a site or like a, a, basically Google's design, material design style guide is more or less like a style guide you would have for a brand, but they're basically saying, make all web apps and products like this. And follow these sort of standards. Um, and I've noticed that I, I see a lot of people that are either, you know, they're developers maybe by trade and they don't consider themselves designers. Maybe they, it's a company that can't afford to hire a designer that just kind of adopt this style across the board. I didn't know if uh, other people had similar experiences and seen lots of Google material designy things popping up or if they had, uh, you know, seen Twitter bootstrap all over the place and kind of felt like it was having an effect on the design the design world and sort of how we kind of perceive, uh, you know, product design these days. Um, Maurice, why don't you start? Have you, have you had any, what are your thoughts on the idea of like, here's a free design for someone who wants to like apply it to their product kind of, uh, kind of blindly. I mean, I generally don't have an issue with that. Um, at least it gives some clients somewhere to start with if they Mm -hmm. just have no idea where to start in terms of a design aesthetic. I mean, when you, it's funny you're talking about open source design and the first thing I thought about was WordPress because it is, I guess, technically pretty open source and it's something where certainly I feel like it's influenced how uh, websites are built. It certainly has influenced what clients expect from websites. They figure every website is a WordPress website and that it should have the same kind of functionality and all that sort of stuff. So I generally don't have a problem with that. If, if As long as it gives you, I think, a starting point is good. I don't know if it should be uh, the finishing line, though. I mean, I don't really have... I feel like I would have approached this a couple years ago as, like, uh, some sort of... In in some ways, it must be wrong, or in some ways, like, it, it should have to justify itself, but uh, more recently, I've just found it as, like, a shortcut for people understanding things, more than probably the way I might have taken it previously, which is um, this is replacing the work of designers and doing a bad job of it mm. specifically in the, like in the material design sense where it's like, Oh, 
Everyone understands what a tab bar is now, and they all know how to use it the same. And I don't just mean designers know how to use it the same. I mean users know how to use it the same. Mm-hmm. Maybe this, maybe this is actually a really good thing. It can be like a a jumping point for making decisions if you're not if you're not making something wild and new and uh, some totally new interaction. Um, you know, lean on something that people understand, and don't be. Uh, you don't have to spend a million years trying to come up with a totally new way to do the exact same thing that everybody else is doing. If you if you are doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Which almost everybody is in different combinations for the most part, right? Yeah. My experience with like sets of rules in general are that like it's very difficult to get a non-design or like a non-product thinking person on board with the fact that like, okay, here are your list of rules. Um, by the way, these rules are going to change. Uh, we're not going to know when or why but they will. And <laughs> so here, uh, learn them very, very well, and then be expected for everything to be pulled out from underneath you at any moment. Um, so I, I think that like any design language or any like brand or identity system, um, it needs to be like the set of rules that everybody follows and everybody agrees like, yes, this is the word uh, until it's not anymore and until it needs to change slightly. And I think that that's like one of the issues that I have with this is that it's like not the most nimble way to work um, with mm-hmm. especially such large systems. Because if you're trying to get like the whole world on board with the idea that this thing's going to change, like that's tricky. Well, the way I see it is more is not that like we need to get everybody on board with the rules. It's like there are probably some people who are totally happy thinking through these problems and and solving them in their own way. And then there are some people who maybe just have no desire to do so or don't have time or maybe don't have you know don't see themselves as designers in a way that they can do this effectively so there's a toolkit for them to do it as opposed to it just being a mess yeah and i am i Um, I do think it has uh made the world a prettier place and i'm grateful for it (laughs) yeah i think in its most like the most optimistic take on it is the kind of perspective mattis painting here where like yes if everybody's going to be making you know groups of radio buttons and drop downs and you know date time selects and tab bars it's really nice to have some kind of centralized thing we can all generally agree like yeah this is pretty much how this should work and there's good reasons for why they work that way um i do think there's some like unintended knock-on effects though and the best thing i can cite is that i can't tell you how many times i've had uh, either a client or you know some other project we've been working on i've seen some documentation for things and somebody has said like here's the color palette for our project. And it's just, they took the whole rainbow color palette from Google design and oh, just, dropped it, just dropped it in. Uh, like here's yeah. the 48 colors we're going to use. And it's just the full <laughs> saturated rainbow. Uh, I, I do feel like little things like that. Like I, I feel like the color palette of the web has taken this kind of like very like normy, saturated, uh, like bright and happy kind of bend since material design came out. I'm not sure if that's just me projecting or if there actually is some difference in the colors people are using, but little things like that, I do think, you know, there's no reason for them to standardize colors, right? Like that's the kind of thing where that's not broken. There's no there's no meaningful purpose to have a kind of standard there the same way there is for, you know, a, a date selector, a you know, tab bar. <laughs> that's just them kind of saying like, hey, we picked some pretty colors for you because we, we're going to do your job for you. And the result is that, yeah, more people just use the like bright blue uh, and like the nice green buttons um but uh it is interesting because i feel like lots of people just don't think about the idea of like the colors they use on their product being part of their identity anymore because this is just what we do now we all have you know candy colors on our websites yeah you're right i get in some ways in some ways i can see that and in other ways like uh 
I don't know. Like there's the, you know, color coding to create a more effective button, like bright red delete button or a big green save button. Um, in some ways, I can't I can't get too mad at that because you're like, well, I'm just trying to make it pretty easy to spot that in uh, in a sea of buttons. And I don't really care what your brand colors are. That makes my life easier as the guy trying to use it. Sure. That's sure, so bad. Sure. No, no, no. That that's fine. But I, I might let me look up right now. I haven't looked at, you know, I've never really looked at his documentation in depth, to be honest. If only the web were just like a black and white, old timey talky, you know, like what if what if Material Design was just just black and white? And if you want colors, you gotta I make try them and make yourself. every website black and white. <laughs> I'm always trying to make whole websites black and white. Uh, Farrah Jones is the one company that let us talk him into doing it, and I'm I'm very happy with that with that site. <laughs> I, I think black and white is great. Like you do need like a third color sometimes for like a, a little warning flash message, pretty much. But yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know. That, that's kind of my my feeling about it. I, I agree with you, Matt. That I think maybe more like four or five years ago, I would have been uh, at least critical of this for, like you said, trying to do the job of design but doing it badly. Uh, and mm. now, you know, for lack of a better word, I'm just much more practical and I understand that the people that are going to basically copy and paste the you know google colors the google material design colors palette and just use that as the palette for their company and uh you know use this as the bible for designing their product they weren't hiring designers in the first place uh they were just going to have a really poorly designed product before because they didn't think about anything and now at least they're going to you know get some of that uh some of those easiest hurdles they're going to they're going to clear with uh with a guide like this um yeah it would then, be like getting mad at somebody for using 72 point Times New Rome and you're like, well, or a Sharpie, like, which is it going to be? Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, and I, I do think that there's something to there's part of the conversation here is just about the fact that this stuff is like actually open source, right? Like uh, you can't steal material design. If you copy it, you're just doing what they intended for you to do. You're supposed to use it. Uh, and same goes for Twitter Bootstrap. I, I assume same goes for a lot of design stuff uh, with WordPress. I know that WordPress technology wise is open source i'm not sure how the themes work depending on who made them i'm sure it changes but uh but but yeah the fact that it's actually people are distributing design as a like commodity like a literal physical commodity is is i think an interesting difference too that is really only possible now because of you know we're we're starting to not only settle on like a shared language in the abstract sense where we are all working in the same space and we look at the same products and so we're starting to understand how things work and should look together we're also literally, you know, documenting that and making it available for free, open source to people that want it, which, you know, in the software world is always very appealing to me because it's like the formalization of your of your like transparency and the formalization of this kind of like shared sense of where you know, you are as a community. And we actually have it in design now, too, which I think is kind of interesting. I do think the implementations of it thus far uh, are a little bit, you know, sterile. Like, yeah, here's some, here's a color palette. Here's a tab bar. That to me, that's like the most boring thing you can do, but it's a step in down the right path of us. Actually, I think thinking about the way we build things and make things in the world on the web, especially yeah. uh, like communally and kind of trying to establish a shared language that we can actually literally share instead of just, you know, assume everyone's on the same page. Don't worry. In like five years, we'll come up with some sort of design movement that is the exact opposite because we're very bored and it'll be very hard to understand, but it'll look really cool and weird. <laughs> ah, right, yes. Andy? You mean that's things not happening are, now? Things are all randomly rotated. Bright colors. Squiggles. Squiggles. More squiggles. It'll be, even, it'll be like the outline, but even more so. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Anything else to say there? Does anybody have any other thoughts on that? We can keep moving down this list. Oh, I was going to say, there is also the, uh, 
there's there are starting to be open source design tools in a different sense like have you played with abstract or all or, or things like that that are actually trying to like make design work like github uh mm. and kind of use use a flow that would uh encourage multiple contributors and like uh versioning and uh you know sharing design yeah you know sharing and design resources in a way is a p- not different than just like following a design guideline yeah just worked with abstract a little bit on a project um at us too and our design team ultimately just felt like it wasn't you know powerful enough to be where we needed it to be um, for our project and then just kind of switched back to our old way of working but i think that there's something there like there are a few people trying to solve this problem at the same time um and like a lot of bigger companies even have like their own internal teams building internal tools that do these things so I'm just excited to see what like the next three ish years holds. Um, Mm -hmm. But just like with my Apple watch, I'm not going to be the first one to jump, jump on board, you know, like I'm going to wait. Yeah. You don't want Matt (laughs) to make fun of you. Like he does. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we're, we're trying to do the same thing so you can make fun of me, but I also, it feels like the same thing. Like, Oh, this will be cool soon. Yeah. Not maybe not yet. Maybe we're not there yet, but yeah, I'm not a total skeptic, but I'm also not going to like put my team through the pain of, adapting to this thing and uh if it's not time yeah but i am envious of all the developers on our team that have much better tools and like ways of working together yeah. and it just seems like designers are like eh, just throw a file in that folder and uh <laughs> call it v2 no v3 yeah. no v4 v4 dot my name v4 dot my name email me your photoshop two. file and you do know you can just track your design files in git if you want matt that's totally fine yeah but it doesn't it doesn't have all the same tools you would want it's just not visual. You just can't like scrub through all your versions, but it's you know still tracking everything the same way. I I, I do agree that uh, you know version control in general is a technology that I feel like uh, if we fast forward like twenty years is going to be ever present in like everything. Like when I first learned about version control, it was like this beautiful. It was like you know eight years ago, or whatever. This like sheet was lifted from my eyes, and I was like, of course. Why would you ever just <laughs> save files and lose all the old versions? And you know. Every every time you press Command S, it's exactly equal to every other time you press Command S. Like it just makes so much sense. So I have no doubt that there'll be like more robust, better version control uh, for design files, just as I think there's going to be for like literally everything. Because uh, making this kind of technology intuitive and understandable to people, uh, there's so much upside, and it just makes so much sense uh, when you're working with computers in any meaningful way. Um, so so yeah. Then we won't have to use some sort of a dumb working file anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Ah. Hey, hey. hey, we got there. Self-referential. Hey, what's next? All right, next. Uh, all right. So the next thing on this list that isn't totally dumb uh, is we never have talked on the show at all about having your work stolen, copied, like blatantly mimed uh, in sort of an obvious way. Um, and I thought it'd be interesting to have a little bit of a conversation just about, uh, and this is actually relevant too, to what we we're just talking about, this idea of open source design and a shared kind of language. Yeah, work. I designed this thing called material design and everyone's stealing it. A bunch of jerks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is something that happens to us at work uh, somewhat regularly. And it's happened to me personally a couple of times where like we make a site, usually some kind of product, and it just gets blatantly lifted. Um, we've had apps blatantly lifted in the app store. Luckily, Apple's pretty good about removing those when you point them out. Um, but you know, we had a, a site we designed and launched last year that like eight months later, some other competitor, like pretty much just, you know, we went through the code and it wasn't like they just copied and pasted the style sheet. They rebuilt it themselves, but they did exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, this happens a lot. Uh, and when I was earlier in my career, I was kind of 
defensive about it, right? Uh, at the very least, you were going to get a, uh, a salty email from me if I found out you stole my thing. Um, and now these days, I'm either resigned or, you know, I have just a totally different perspective on on this kind of stuff in that I feel like it doesn't matter anywhere near as much as I, as I thought it once did. Um, uh, Maurice, what's your experience with people stealing stealing your work or your work being copied or, you know, what's your relationship to this? Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually have had one of my projects, which has been, uh, I don't know if I want to say it's been stolen. It's certainly there's a a reasonable facsimile out there. Um, a little bit was, uncanny. Yeah, and I mean, it was to the point where they not only had a very similar name, but also used, like, the same colors, the exact same typeface. Um, and it was pretty transparent that they were trying to do the exact same thing I was to the point where I even mentioned it to them and they blocked me on Twitter. Um, and, and this person has since not suspicious been, at all. Oh no, not at all. And this person has since been using that to kind of further leverage their own design career, which I guess is some weird form of flattery in a way. Um, <laughs> but I just kind of, I don't even really pay it any mind because you may be able to take the concept, but the one thing that you won't be able to replicate is kind of what I bring to the table, the unique thing that I bring to the project, my work ethic to the project, the way that I approach it. You may try to do something similar, but it's not the same kind of thing. So I just kind of sit back and watch this person uh, do what they do. And other people have brought it to their attention and he's done the exact same thing, blocked them on Twitter, you know, talked about them disparagingly, et cetera. And, I mean, the fact that this person has done this several times with other people more so just kind of shows their own immaturity. But personally, I don't really think anything of it. I'm I'm somewhat flattered by it. But I mean, not to the point where it's taking money out of my pocket. So I don't really care. Yeah, I I I can't really think of a thing that I've designed recently that wouldn't either be super obvious to steal and just like kind of a joke yeah, or like that's the ones I'm talking uh, about, <laughs> or like just uh, you know, like oh my god, they stole the idea of putting a shopping cart button in the top right, and they used my icon. Oh, mm. it's pretty standard. Like so, either like you doing stuff that you consider like ubiquitous, like maybe the work you did was you know you put these pieces together for the specific client, but each individual piece was not a brilliant uh, you know creative child yeah, of your like brain the solution, that was totally the solution unique. makes sense together but it'd be pretty hard to steal it as a whole so if you're going to see it anywhere you're going to see like individual pieces stolen and then it doesn't really it doesn't really translate or like okay what if you stole my company's website well that'd be really weird and specific and i just don't know how it would work mm. for anybody else like mm-hmm. you could steal the motel site right now and you'd you'd take all of our colors and our shapes and whatever and our people maybe put your own people in there but like what would that do for you? Is that even going to work? I just can't think of a situation where it's even going to work that well for anybody. Yeah, in general, I think uh, if you're having, and I, I'll say this, you know, Maurice said he was a little bit flattered by it. I don't find it flattering at all. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just offensive. Um, but I will say that if you're the uh, the person who's having your work stolen regularly, obviously that sucks. You should not have to deal with that. But uh, it probably means that you're doing pretty good work and you're at a good place in your career and this person who is just jacking your work probably not so much uh and they probably don't have any good future prospects if this is how they're going to go about producing creative things in the world so um, i do think that's a uh, a thing to remember in those moments when uh, you're staring at that site that was blatantly lifted that you designed um but uh but yeah linda what's your experience with this i'm sure you've had your work uh your work lifted before yeah um 
actually have had some really funny stuff happen um, that's maybe not funny. But uh, like one time we found a T-shirt in a T-shirt shop that basically was like this poster that I had made for MailChimp, but they like just changed the words on it. And the artwork was just so obviously like my artwork um, and like mm-hmm. the same colors and like layout. And it was just like an illustration that was just, yeah, that was my thing. But we just... This is Ron, the package delivery gorilla. Everyone's favorite t-shirt <laughs> mascot. <laughs> and, um, well, it was one of those, like, non-branded things that we did. Um, but, like, we just kind of laughed about it and, like, shared pictures of it and then sent that clothing company a cease and desist because they're making a profit off of our intellectual property. So, I mean, I think that there's... I, I, uh, Andy, I used to be exactly like you. Like I used to just get so pissed. And like, if I saw my friend's work getting ripped off, you know, everyone's like kind of, uh, we would be like direct messaging each other about it and like, just kind of like really hating on this person. And then I think it was just after doing enough of that, that I realized that like, I personally was gaining nothing from doing that other than like, now there's like a new person in the world that I hate that I've never actually met face to face. And I really don't know their story mm-hmm. either. Um, and so, yeah, as I've grown up, I've just kind of like grown out of that mindset. And um, I still get stuff sent to me every now and then where somebody's like, hey, I just thought you should know. Like, and then they show me a picture of something that was clearly inspired by something I had made at some point. But I just let it slide. I don't know. I don't have time to think about that kind of shit. There's so much else going on in the world right now that's like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, yeah. like, well, yeah. It does put some perspective <laughs> on things. <laughs> I feel like you either have to let that go or you just turn it into your supervillain origin story. Like, <laughs> I don't know if there's, yeah. I don't know if there's a middle road. You're either going to, either going to dwell on it and, and, uh, die of rage or just let it go because it's going to keep happening over and over and over again if you want to keep working. Yeah. Yeah. There is, uh, so there is, I want to mention that there is a more malicious side to this, which is kind of prevalent. I think it's less uh, less happening with like designers in the sense that we're talking about. Like it's not people lifting websites, but specifically with like illustrators and artists. Uh, I know that like you know big clothing brands are notorious for you know just straight up taking people's work and then dropping it on a T-shirt and selling it in every anthropology across the nation or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that I don't want to say we should like ignore, right? Like if you're an independent artist, and you should take legal action getting- if that's happening to you. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. If, if you're getting your stuff ripped off by a giant company who's clearly making a bunch of money off of it, I do feel like there's a difference there between that and somebody who uh, maybe isn't as it a good of a isn't in as good of a career position as you. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying desperately to get somewhere by you know perhaps uh, taking a little bit too much inspiration. But some people will um, like track down the artist who works for that company and like uh, you know try to throw them over the coals. And I'm just I, I just feel like you shouldn't go that far as to get like personally accusatory and like hating let's hold the companies responsible in capitalism because chances are it's probably not the person's fault that was trying that was forced to do 20 t-shirt designs a day or whatever the situation was and i also in order to make ends meet yeah and i also just want to like build on what maurice was saying in that um if somebody rips you off like it's okay to feel a little upset about it but let it go because that person does not have the brain inside your head that like led them to an original thought Um, and I've worked with a lot of freelancers at this point where, you know, you hire somebody, you give them a prompt for something that they need to work on. And, uh, it's, it's obvious right away if they're able to produce their own original ideas and the people Mm -hmm. who do a really great job at that and like very clearly have their own voice and their own illustration style, I hire them over and over and over again. And, uh, 
yeah, sometimes you hire somebody and it's just, it's clear that they can't really think on their own. And, uh, those people, you just kind of like, well, thanks for your time. <laughs> yeah. So it works itself. Yeah. Out. I do think, um, you know, I think one of the things that led me to want to be a creative person in any sense, you know, originally like an artist, quote unquote, and then eventually a designer was because I just really liked making stuff. You know, I was kind of, I had this like affection and warmth for like the things I had made. Like I was proud of them and they felt, you know, dear to me. And I think it's that feeling that makes you, you know, so badly want to, you know, defend yourself and be so hurt when someone blatantly steals your Mm -hmm. thing because it like sullies it. It was so special in this thing you made with your own brain and hands and heart. And now it's just, you know, someone just copied and pasted and put it on their tote bag or whatever. And that just feels bad. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's where that comes from. But yeah, I I think that what everyone's saying is is right, that uh, when you really think about the sort of position that you're in you know, you're probably doing all right if you're having your work stolen and it's it's a bummer. And if it's being stolen for profit, especially by a big company or even a medium sized company, hold them accountable if you can. But uh, but when it comes to just, you know, <laughs> other more sad and desperate uh, attempts at stealing work, I have I don't have as much of a heart in me to get mad about it anymore. I just kind of feel bad a little bit. Um, I, I do want to mention one more thing here, which I think is relevant, which is that I have a couple anecdotes in my creative life from that kind of point to just how difficult it really is to separate inspiration from like mimicry, like to know where that line is, especially early in your career. Uh, And the couple examples I can point to is that there is a company here in Baltimore whose name I will not say, I'm actually not sure if they're still around, but they have been, you know, around on and off pretty much uh, since we started friends of the web six years ago, they started like maybe six or seven months after that and have been around on and off. And three times now, three separate times, uh, they have essentially, as far as I'm concerned, like taken our website and made it their own website. Like our, our actual friends of the web.com, not a website we made, just like our actual website, our colors, fonts, uh, you know, very similar graphic elements uh, and never like copied and pasted, right? Like always different, but like the influence was always so strong that like every single time I had to shoot this person and be like, hey, look, the first time I was like, hey, here's the deal. You know, we're two young companies starting in the same city. I feel like there's going to be some confusion between our companies here because your name is similar. Your website's very similar. Everything about this is very similar. I think it's in our mutual best interest to like find a way to, you know, deviate and like, you know, make some clear separation between us and fairly friendly. The second time I was like, hey, second time this has happened. This is, you know, we put out our new website six months later. You have a new website. looks pretty much the same. Uh, a little more frustrated. And by the third time, I was just like, look, I don't know what to say anymore. And I feel like I, at this point... I, I know this person that is like the person making the creative decisions for this company. And I know I'm fairly confident they are not doing this either to troll us uh, or to just be <laughs> malicious. Um, and if I, and to like put modesty aside for a second, I genuinely think that they just look at our company and it represents so much of what they want their company to be that mm-hmm. it's like, it's so deep, deep seated in their system at like, ah, yeah, like, you know, these colors are cool and bright and we like them. And oh, oops, it ha- happens to be exactly the same colors we were using <laughs> uh, or within like, you know, within a few little, you know, hex codes or something. And it's just, I think it's really, really deep. And and the one, the other example, which is even more visceral of this is, uh, you know, when I was a senior in school uh, studying graphic design, uh, I was dating somebody else who was also a graphic designer. And we had a mutual kind of admiration for each other's work. And that was one of the things that, you know, brought us together, for lack of a better word. Uh, but there was this really interesting moment where, like, I was gearing up for for senior year, for get my portfolio ready, apply for jobs or whatever. Uh, you know, I made a nice portfolio website for myself, put a lot of time into it, some personal branding, 
this is way back in the day when we did personal branding. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like, you know, uh, some number of months later, uh, you know, she came to me and was like, I finished designing my new website. I'm so excited about it and just showed it to me. And I was like, this is exactly the same as my website. Uh, and it was really, that, that was the moment where I was really, cause obviously this is a person I was dating. Like we were extremely close. We've been dating for a while. There's zero chance that she, A, intended to steal anything uh, or B, like thought that she was being overly influenced. And it wasn't even like she, you know, was hiding it from me and then like launched it. And then I found it. She came to me and was like, look how beautiful this is. I'm so excited about it. And, uh, and you know, we had to have a conversation where I kind of was like, Ooh, maybe not the exact same highlight color. Maybe this kind of grid here, you know, whatever the things that were very similar. Uh, but that to me was just like really showed me that, you know, if you're in that space, uh, especially if you're you know younger, earlier in your career, it's so so hard sometimes to separate yourself from the work that you admire. It so um, is. And I'll throw myself you're under the bus so too. Right. I, uh, yeah. yeah. I can. I, 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 let me, go ahead. No, no. I, I, I'm sorry to keep blabbing on, but uh, I do <laughs> want to throw myself under the bus too, so I don't just sound like I'm talking about how great my work is and everyone's <laughs> stealing it all the time. Um, I've always really admired the work of Frank Shimero. He's a illustrator designer. Um, is you started kind of doing editorial illustrations like kind of clever you know colorful illustrations for various magazines newspapers and stuff uh he's moved on to do all different kinds of design and now i think he's probably more of an author uh than he is a designer at this point he's putting out design books um somebody i've admired for my entire career and i feel like you know his work became prominently visible in the public right around the time that i was looking at a lot of work and trying to find my voice and so uh, i've had to kind of check myself at points in my life to be like am i doing this too much the frank way or at least huh. attempting to do it too much the frank way <laughs> and i have this one moment where uh we were trying to design a t-shirt for a uh baltimore based like technology group like a meetup or something and someone asked me to design a t-shirt for it and uh i designed this t-shirt which i thought was like a cool interesting uh illustration and I was aware that it was somewhat similar to one of Frank's illustrations. Specifically, he has an illustration of a row home with somebody working in like the top window. And it's like at night and the windows lit up and you can see this person kind of, you know, over their desk working. Uh, and like my creative take on it was that, and it's, I don't even want to say it, it's so, so atrocious. But the point is, I did this illustration and I thought to myself, I think this is totally fine. I'm like 90% sure that this is not just totally cribbing Frank's style, but I'm going to sit on it for a couple months because I'm a little afraid that I'm doing that. And a couple months later, it was so blatantly obvious that I had just completely lifted Aww. it. Uh, and thank God, I never, I never put it out. We never, I never showed it to anybody. Uh, I just like, I made it and I was like, this is great. Good job, Andy. You're a good designer. <laughs> and then I was like, mm, this little voice in the back of my head was like, but are you? And then now, you know, <laughs> now six years later, I can see so clearly that it was just like, I admired his work so much. I had so few other reference points for that kind of illustration that I liked. Uh, that it was just like a blatant ripoff that I, I luckily was I actually even had the thought at the time I was like should I email Frank and ask him if this is uh, like a like crib in his style <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time like I bet if I was Frank I would think this was cribbing his style and then slowly over time I came to the realization that it was definitely just totally stealing whatever he was doing um, so <laughs> anyway all of those dumb anecdotes are to say <laughs> that uh, you know I think there is a difference between a big company stealing your money for work and somebody who is overly influenced uh, or trying to save time and just, you know, cheat and cut corners where they can. Uh, and, you know, one of them is gross and should be uh, should be reprimanded. And the other one is a little sad and someone still earned their career, maybe trying to find their voice. So I don't know. Those are my complex feelings on that subject. Gives you some makes you have some sympathy for buddies of the Internet. That's what you're saying. 
Yeah, I think having sympathy for people, even when they are like blatantly ripping off your designs, <laughs> uh, I think it's really important uh, because at some point you did it too. And if you were lucky, you did it in the confines of a classroom. Oh, God, I have another great example of this. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I was worried you wouldn't have enough reasons to talk. I'm excited. Shut up, Matt. So <laughs> this is another example. And this one I actually did get. So, here, man. So it was uh, this is junior year of, of school. I was even younger. And they were going to do a screening of Objectified at our school. They were going to show Gary Hustwit's new, uh, you know, uh, documentary about uh, industrial design. And at the time, there was that beautiful poster that Build had made uh, that was, you know, the word Objectified. And then below it, it was a bunch of, like, objects drawn in just, like, silhouette. Like, a bunch of just, like, you know, rendered objects. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. I had this brilliant idea uh, where I was going to do my own take on that because the audience was d- design students at, you know, my, my school. So they had seen this poster. They were aware of it. It wasn't like it was going out to the, to the larger world. Um, but I had this design in my head that I would like do my take on it. And what I did was, I, you know, for 24 hours, I like kept a notebook with me before I had a smartphone. Uh, and I just noted down every single object that I touched all day for the entire day. I just kept track of everything. And then I made a poster that was like visually similar to that poster. But it was all the things I personally had touched, like labeled with their time uh, for the day. And I thought this was like an interesting kind of take on it. And of course, it's not. It's just a total ripoff. And I actually even so this was like put up at Micah, uh, which is the school I went to uh, in the sort of hallways. Uh, And this is also God, this is also embarrassing. This is also the time where everybody was uh, like basically signing the work they did. You would write like poster by so and so on the bottom of your own poster. Yeah. So I uh, so at the bottom, I had like in small letters designed by Andy Mangold. Uh, and then it was hanging up for a little while. And then somebody vandalized the poster by scratching out design and writing stolen uh, on the poster Whoa. that was hanging up at school. Oh, shit. Uh, which which was which hurt, obviously, at the time. Uh, and then I even put it on my portfolio, put it on my portfolio website because I was proud of this poster. I thought it was nice. And once it was on my website, it made its way all the way to the creative director of Build, who sent me an email and just said like, hey, by the way, kind of ripping our work off here. Uh, and I think at the time I even like had the like bravado to say like, oh, but here's my special idea. I, you know, kept track of all the <laughs> things I touched myself personally and then I drew them all. And so it's like they're in order by the day. And he wrote back and was like, yeah, if you look at the original poster, there are also things in order for the day. Like there's a toothbrush at the beginning and like it's not as obvious because it's not as like dumb and blunt as a uh, sophomore graphic design student would make, but it's the exact same idea. Mm-hmm. So not, not even my unique idea was actually unique. I just didn't realize it. Uh, so we've all put our foot there. And those are my stories of me putting my foot in places where it doesn't belong. <laughs> uh, and yeah, someone just scratched out designed by and wrote stolen by. If it makes you feel better, Andy, I also designed an objectified poster in college because I was very excited about that movie. And I basically just did a version of that poster and I just drew all the objects that I wanted to draw because I thought it would be fun to draw the objects I wanted yeah, to draw. Yeah, we all drew. And not even really thinking that it would be ripping projects. off. I just was excited. Yeah, I was just excited to draw the objects because I was getting good at Illustrator. That's yeah. all it was. And that, to me, that's a perfect example too because I, you know, like I knew I had seen the poster. Like it wasn't like I was totally in the middle of nowhere. I just thought in my like twisted brain space that this was like an appropriate, you know, parody or homage or something to more it. Like and it's just so clearly it's not. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More like that, exactly. Um, so I've talked enough now. Does anybody else want to talk more about stealing things? Just don't. Don't do it. Don't be like me. Do as I say, not as I do. Don't just steal the build poster. Yeah, but feel free to do it in your own time to learn. Also, 
The objectified poster was like a Luba Lukova. Is that her name? Luca Luca. I forget. I always forget her name. But uh, she did some very similar stuff. And then like early days, Herman Miller posters looked like that. And, oh, for you know, sure. It's just like yeah, no. Everything is a remix, guys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this has been your favorite character, Punk Linda. <laughs> Punk. Everything is a remix, uh, Linda. Yeah. Nothing matters. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get one more lightning round topic in, and then you, dear audience, will have to just sit and wonder what the other topics that we'll never get to might have been. What are the things on here that we never got to do a full episode about that we did touch on it a couple times in other episodes kind of in passing is the relationship between design and testing or talking about data-driven design. Uh, You know, nowadays we have all kinds of tools and libraries that allow us to measure how people are interacting with the things we're designing very finely in in a very detailed way we can understand who clicked on what how long people stay on a page uh how many pages they go to before they leave uh all kinds of different analytics and things about uh the designs we're making Um, i think more and more people are starting to do robust user testing uh, when they're trying to decide between you know maybe two different versions of how a page or a view ought to look and uh you know i'll just open it up i've talked enough who wants to who has an opinion about the relationship between design making a decision for yourself and uh you know using data or analytics to influence your process well i think it's um it's a very powerful and awesome thing to do and i've seen it um i've seen testing move numbers to make companies like extra millions of dollars like so i think it's definitely something that you should be doing and you shouldn't like constantly be this like renegade designer who's just like like uh no users don't know what they what they need uh i like it when people use that um that ford quote like if i asked people what they wanted they would have asked for faster horses uh but i don't i don't really feel like it's like that like i think that uh you have to kind of have a 50 50 approach to user testing like sure do that and uh validate and test and test and test and iterate uh but also like get away from the user sometimes and just try to come up with your own ideas and try to have a brain inside your head like i think that uh, if you're too like results focused you can get a little bit stuck in your own feedback loops um mm-hmm. where you're just like so focused on all these like little nuanced details that you're like completely forgetting about the big picture but i'd like to hear what you guys have to say about that too well, I think also with with uh, with data driven design, I mean, you know, that data is often, uh, you know, gathered from whatever the respective audience is for that design. So if it's a website, for example, you know, whatever the bounce rate is or things like that might be applicable to that particular audience. Um, but that doesn't mean that if you try to, you know, we we're talking before about, you know, stealing design, for example, you won't be able to maybe take that same type of you know, UI pattern or what have you and replicate it for your site and get the same results. Right. So, I mean, I think, you know, of course, also looking at the data is good to know what you should do for your audience, but I don't think there's, I mean, there are certainly websites and things out there where you'll see like best email templates or really good calls to action or things like that, because these are things which may have worked for people through some level of trial and error. I don't think that the results of data-driven design should really be like a starting point. Well, I wouldn't even say a starting point, more like an ending point to say, oh, well, you know, we looked at this and it, it apparently worked for these guys, so we're going to do the same thing. And you may not get those same results. Your results may may vary wildly. 
It's also really tricky because um, you, you have to trust the numbers, but like to a certain extent. So like, say, for example, yeah. you did email campaigns like on the month, every single month, uh, and you can test how many opens there were and how like well things did. And But from there, it's all like somewhat speculative because it might have been that your email campaign that you did the month before, uh, once the user opened it, it was actually horrible and they really didn't like it. And so the next month they're just like not even going to open it. And so then when you test that one, you say, okay, well this was clearly just like a bad email, but no, that could have actually been your best one. Uh, they just like didn't get around <laughs> to opening it because last month's sucked so bad, you know? Um, so you, you still have to kind of go with your gut and like realize that you're working with human brains, which are kind of more complicated than that. Very true. Yeah, I think I think I'm more or I think I always feel like uh, I'm just wary of any sort of, you know, those blogs that are like, hey, here's some user tests that other people did. And therefore, it's a rule. Right. And I'm like, well, no, because that's so hyper specific, even in your own world where you're testing just your site or your product or whatever. It's really hard to tell what the numbers even mean. Um, if you make little tiny tweaks, you can tell what those things mean. But beyond that, you're probably uh, you're probably discovering a lot more without information to let you know what it is. And so when you read those like marketing blogs that say, tell you what color the button's supposed to be and where you're supposed to put it, it's so specific that um, it's pretty disingenuous. I just don't trust it. But there's certainly reasons to use data. Obviously, it's I mean, it would be stupid to say otherwise. Uh, you just have to be smart about it and ask very, very, very specific questions because uh, otherwise you're just making huge leaps and you're probably not actually learning anything. To me, I feel like... Um more information to influence your decisions is always better in my view uh, i don't think we're at a point in design where the average designer has too much information that parsing it becomes uh, too time consuming such that we have to optimize that uh, and there are jobs where an abundance of information is genuinely a problem and you have to find some way to pare it down because you can't possibly consume all of it i think when you're a designer making a decision about uh, any kind of product you should welcome more information because you're you're not you're not overrun with it, uh, even if you might feel like you are. And so, for the designers that are out there using this kind of data to influence their decision making, I think that's great. And I think that it's important to have an understanding of how like statistics works in order to do that. Otherwise, you run the risk of doing using data in the way which I think is dangerous, which is as a uh, means of avoiding making a decision, as as a means of kind of. Uh, removing the responsibility from yourself and putting it onto some invisible third party. Um, for example, like, you know, I think a lot of times people will A, B test something just because they don't want to decide for themselves what the thing, w which one is best for, for their particular uh, problem or for their brand or for whatever it is they're, they're kind of laying out. And in that situation, I think you really run the risk of not understanding why the thing you chose is working the way that it is right so you can a b test something and let's assume that you have enough traffic that the a b test is actually meaningful and the difference in the the delta between the performance of the two different pages is actually meaningful which you know frankly i think a lot of people a b test things where they don't have the number the, the kind of numbers where they can really determine a difference but let's assume you do let's assume you have a statistically relevant difference there um you know you want people to buy the t-shirt or whatever you want them to do you don't really know why they're buying the t-shirt if you're just making the decision based on which of these perform better and you're not you're not applying a sort of bigger 
bigger picture rigor to it, right? Uh, and it's like some dumb examples where like you can imagine people might have bought the t-shirt because uh, they didn't see the price and the price was too high and they didn't see it until they hit buy without knowing how expensive it was going to be. Uh, or they bought the t-shirt because uh, it was unclear how many they were going to get or because uh, they felt like there was none in stock, even though there were abundance of things in stock. There's all sorts of deceptive and, uh, you know, bad things that can happen there. And if you're not looking at the big picture, you might not know that, oh, with this particular page design, when... You know, we sold 15% more, but we got 12% more returns. So it, it didn't really, it kind of came out in the wash because people are, we don't understand behavior that, that cleanly. Um, so, so yeah, I think in, in a broad view, uh, I wish we could do more uh, actual like data-driven stuff on the products we work on. Uh, it is a luxury because you do have to build it and you have to collect the data and you have to have a big enough audience that the data you're collecting is relevant. Um, and short of that, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, like qualitative testing instead of quantitative testing. Like, don't think about whether or not, you know, this thing performed 0.2% better over 100,000 views than this other option, unless you're really at the scale where that matters, right? Like if you're working at Amazon, you're working at Google, you're working at Facebook, you have to live and die by this stuff, I have to imagine, because you don't have the option of understanding things in any other way because of the enormity of your audience. But if you're making something on a smaller scale, I really feel like there's so much more to be learned from qualitative testing. Just watching somebody use the thing that you built and learning about, you know, what, what, the, what they're thinking about, what's going through their head when they're clicking through the different pages. Uh, that can be, I think, much more illuminating than looking at sort of differences in, in numbers on spreadsheets. Um, well, do, do people have final thoughts? I mean, we can, we can end it there. Is anyone else have anything they want to say before, uh, before we close the line for the evening? Matt, let's start with you. Your last final, your final, final thoughts. Oh man, that's not fair. We just, I did final thoughts on three other things, and now what am I supposed to say? Uh, I'll say, don't steal stuff, which is super obvious. Don't get too bent out of shape if someone steals your thing, unless it's a big company, then you should sue them for a million dollars or a billion dollars. Test your things if you want to, but don't, ta don't make too much of it. Nobody cares if your button is green or red. And thank you for listening to Working File. It's been really fun making the show with everybody. Aww. Oh, I like that. That's really good. Linda, final thoughts. That was really sweet. Um, my final thoughts to summarize everything is just, you know, eyes on your own paper. Like it's, it's so easy to just look at what everybody <laughs> else is doing all the time. And, uh, <laughs> like just to compare it, it gets really nasty. Even if it's like, you're doing great and somebody else is like stealing your work. It, it's not long before you're looking at somebody else and you're like, Oh, I wonder why I'm not as good as they are. And it's just like so self-destructive and like those types of thoughts and things are just pointless and meaningless and it's not going to help you and your work get better. So yeah, just, just try to try to manage that. Um, and then show your work to other people. Get input, like like Andy almost did with Frank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or have so much self doubt <laughs> that you sit on it for long enough that you realize how wrong you were if you put it <laughs> Exactly, it'll become obvious to you. And if you are looking at somebody else's paper, you might just be seeing their work and you don't realize they have this crippling self doubt that you can't see. Maybe that'll make you feel exactly. Better. That's like right. one of the best things that I've I've learned is just that like whatever you're obsessing about and whatever you're wondering other people are thinking about and whatever like everybody's just worried about themselves at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Nobody's worried about you. So. It's kind of freeing when you when you realize that and you're like uh, walking down the street and realize you go in the wrong direction. And you just turn around and start walking the other direction because yeah. no one's paying attention and you don't need to be embarrassed. Yeah. It's okay. Exactly. If you're kind of like, oh man, I could lose five pounds. Nobody cares. Just you. That's <laughs> it. Uh, anyways, that those are my those are my final thoughts. Thank you. 
Maurice, final, final thoughts. Final, final thoughts. I guess to sum up what everyone else has said thus far, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a saying that comparison is the thief to joy. Oh. Meaning that, you know, if you spend so much time comparing and looking at what you have based on what someone else has, it makes it harder for you to see kind of the beauty in the work that you might be doing. So kind of piggybacking again off what everyone said, uh, take pride in the work that you're doing wherever it is that you are at this point. And it's a new year or it's about to be a new year. Set some goals for yourself. Don't stress yourself out if you're not able to actually meet all of said goals. But I feel like it's always good to try to work towards something, whatever that might be, big or small. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of topics out there. Um, I feel like Working File, uh, this podcast has been a great platform for people to have really good discussions around a number of different topics. But if you've been someone that has been listening, you know, either from the beginning or if you've just jumped on recently, um, use this as a springboard to take these conversations out into the community and have them with other people, have other conversations, different conversations than the one we're having, you know, uh, keep the thread going of always being, um, uh, I would say, knowledgeable and and aware of your surroundings and the community that you work in and all of that good stuff hey that just reminded me those are my final thoughts sorry that just reminded me of something that i heard when uh i rode past a man on my bicycle and uh this man was just like i just caught him mid-conversation and he had a thick accent i couldn't even tell where it was coming from but he was just saying to the woman next to him um when you fail hold your head high and when you succeed, hang your head low. And I feel like I've just thought about that like almost every day since <laughs> I heard him say it. Because I feel like if you apply that to everything in life, uh, including your work and including working with other people and everything, like it, it just makes you like a better team member and a better friend and a better everything. So that was just an add on to my final thought, like some sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> well, for my final, final thought, uh, I just really want to take another moment to thank everybody who's contributed to this show, Linda and Maurice and everybody else uh, who's been on past episodes. Uh, these are people who, you know, are either friends of Matt and mine or people that maybe we vaguely knew through Twitter. In some cases, people we didn't know at all uh, who are willing to take time out of their schedules and uh, open up, talk about these subjects with, uh, with us and with you all. And, uh, you know, they weren't paid anything for it. They didn't get any real, any real notoriety or acclaim for it. So uh, I really want to thank everybody uh, because this, this experiment would not have been possible without everybody's help. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really grateful we got to make the show we did for as long as we did. And I'm proud of the, uh, of the archive that will live online for the foreseeable future. Uh, and I will close by saying that I'm horrified to discover that if you Google objectified poster, the 10th result after the first nine results of the real Objectified poster is my knockoff Objectified poster, which is still oh. online somewhere, not on my website. And there it is, out there in the world, <laughs> confusing people and embarrassing me because my name is still on it on the bottom, designed by Andy. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, with that, I think, so we'll, I think we'll ride into the sunset. Thanks as always to XYZ Type for the transcripts. You can find them at XYZtype.com. 
And you know what? Still give us a five-star review. Still matters. Get on iTunes. Do it. Hey, what if we decide to come back and we want to do more of these? We're going to need good ratings so people keep listening. We have to return to our kingdom full of stars. Not on fire. Not on fire.